Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. Terrific, terrific episode for you today. An outstanding guest, American author Elliot Wink joins the show. Elliot is a science fiction and fantasy writer from Northern California. In addition to writing, she's also been teaching English for nearly a decade. So as she puts it, she spends her days analyzing writing with her students and her nights putting her own pen to paper. She also has a master's in psychology. She finds people fascinating. And because of that, while she's writing, she spends a lot of time in the characters' heads in which she creates. Whether that character is drifting through outer space, navigating through a dystopian future, or in another universe entirely, they are unlikely to escape the nature of the human condition when it comes to her stories. Elliot believes that we're human even when we're forging through the unknown. What I love about Elliot is she has a lot of different projects going on. We spoke earlier this spring primarily about her novel After Io. In that book, a spaceship pilot has just killed her captain. How did she get to this point and will her actions be enough to save her own life? After I was the first novel in the Far Light series. And coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, this is more of actually in intentionally, intentionally, her second book in the Farlight series actually is out today. You can scoop it up on Amazon or in the Kindle store. This is the second book in the Farlight series, D District 5. In this book, a Petrox Station's detective's investigation into the Persica incident uncovers distressing details about the hidden inner workings of District 5. I'm excited for this. After Isle was one of my favorite books I've read this year, and I'll be scooping up District 5 today, just like you should as well. She's a great author. Support our show and support her writing by picking up her book. On today's episode, we chat a lot about the mental aspects of writing. We talk about why revenge stories are so remarkable. We talk about the creative process and knowing when something is complete. And we also talk about her own habits when it comes to writing. And she brought up a great phrase that you can't edit a blank page. And I thought that was so remarkable. It's really stayed with me. And I love her insight into her own composition strategies and also how her psychology background has helped her in some of her character development. Charming, charming human, great writer. We go off topic a little bit and talk about literature in general, uh, which is fine by me any day of the week. I loved it. Glad that I know her. Excited for the new book. You're going to love her as well. So let's go ahead and welcome on American science fiction fantasy writer, Elliot Wink. And let's learn. Curious, when you first became interested in science fiction, because it's a, it's a specific genre that I feel that, that people who do read it are very passionate, very supportive of it. Yeah, well, I, I think my first exposure that I remember uh, to science fiction was Lois Lowry's The Giver. I remember taking that out of one of my teacher's little libraries when I was in middle school, and I was just enamored by it. It was such a powerful story. And after that, I, I started, you know, reading more things like Orson Scott Card and Ray Bradbury. Um, and, you know, now I read Margaret Atwood and, and people like that. So I really enjoy science fiction. I, I love the what if effect. And I like that 
it's just not bound by reality. And I like fantasy for the same reason. Um, but I also do read a lot of genres. I, I'm not exclusive to science fiction and fantasy, but I, there is something special to me about those those genres. How about some of the books that have just left strongest marks on you, indelible marks that you, throughout your life? Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. Um, so I think one of my all-time favorite books is Orson Scott Card's Speaker for the Dead. Um, and so that was the second book after Ender's Game. And just something about like the quietness and the philosophical nature of that book and the I don't know. I just I felt very invested in the story with those little piggies, and and I just realized that that was the kind of writing I wanted to do. Um, so I don't think I'm at Orson Scott Card's level yet, but I hope to be someday. So that's a really uh, impactful book for me. And then I'd also say Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So I actually read that as an adult. I teach it mm -hmm. in my classes, and I was absolutely stunned the first time I read it because I expected this this traditional monster story that you see in Hollywood where the monster is just chaos and he can't think and his, his arms are out forward and you know all of the, those kinds of images and when I found that this monster was you know philosophical and had been abandoned and could think and reason and chose revenge I just found it to be such a potent story and so much scarier than what Frankenstein's monster has actually become so that was a really impactful book for me um, and I still you know read it every few years and so I I love that one too and another one that always has been impactful for me is The Count of Monte Cristo I just mm. that that novel is just such a good again a revenge story um, but it's uh it's just so engaging I and I read that when I was probably in high school and was probably one of the first classical books that I just really, really liked. And so that one, that one always had a big impact on me. So like engaging writing, uh, you know, books that are going to pull you in, but also ones that I think are a little bit philosophical and you know, thoughtful. Adam and Krista, one of my favorites. What is it about mm -hmm. revenge stories that are so fascinating, especially one with the timing and the slow and the methodical aspect mm -hmm. of Count of Monte Cristo that takes place over years? What is it about it? that? Why are they so fascinating? Oh, I so I'm not totally sure why they're why they're so <laughs> fascinating. I'd say for me, I I consider myself a very peaceful person, so it's a, it's a part of reality that I don't think that I would ever personally actually engage in. Uh, and to think about the just the mental state that somebody would need to be in to actually enact revenge and and especially ones that are calculated and methodical is just I think maybe fascinating. Yeah. I, I'm thinking of now to um, Edgar Allan Poe's The Casco of Montiato and how uh, that that narrator is just so interesting and he's he seems so unable uh, when he's carrying out his revenge. And so yeah I, I think for me it might be just that it's it's a foreign idea, but it's also one that's like understandable you can understand why these characters are doing it maybe um so that'd be my my thought <laughs> yeah i do like the calmness of the revenge and kind of Monte Cristo. he's not going out mm -hmm. for immediate passion he's slow yeah. planning it out in some ways you admire that you mentioned yeah. another author who i have not read so i'm asking for a recommendation you mentioned bradbury where should i start in, in the bradbury library i would start with his short stories honestly um i love his short stories i think uh like a sound of thunder and uh, 
dark they were and golden eyed and uh, there will come soft rains. And that's another one that I really like. Uh, I don't know, all, all of those, those kinds of stories are really enchanting to me because they're the kind of science fiction that I like to write where there's no explanation of the science. It just, it, it just is in this future and these things just exist. And you look back and when he, he wrote a lot of these stories back in you know the fifties and there are just so many predictions that are interestingly accurate. Um, obviously things that are wildly inaccurate too, but it's all about how people are reacting in those situations and how they then are affected by the technology or by the future and everything like that. And I think that that's the most interesting part of science fiction is looking at how we would behave and react in a reality just slightly different than the one that we have now. So there's still human stories um, just in a what if kind of world. Yeah. And Bradbury's really good at that. How did teaching Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, how did that change your appreciation? Did you always have that appreciation for it? Or after a few times, maybe reading through it and analyzing line by line that you're like, hold up, this is, I get it now. So I, the first time I read Frankenstein was preparing to teach it. Uh, I, ha I came into a position, there was a class set and I'd never read it before. And so, and so I opened it up that way. So I've always looked at it maybe through the lens of teaching because I was preparing to do it that way. Um, but I think that it's just, it's one of those texts where I feel like when people think back to it, they're like, oh, I had to read that in high school. It's, oh goodness, I, you know, I, I, I barely made it through kind of thing. And I just, when I read it, I, it was just so wonderful that I really tried to think about, well, how can I make this a really interesting, like, how can I maybe get some kids past the eloquent language um, because it is a difficult text um, to some degree. And how can I get them to really just appreciate this, the story and the beauty of this story. And, um, and so we just talk a lot about morality and we talk a lot about, um, you know, the, the moods that Shelley's creating and um, you know, the roles that the characters are playing and the, their, their evolution and everything like that. And, and I think that it, it helps me appreciate it more by being able to do it just because I, I have to go to that level of depth that if I was just reading it for fun, maybe I wouldn't have to. So I don't know if that made sense. <laughs> it, it did. One thing that I was thinking about, as you mentioned that you mentioned about it being difficult to read because books of that era, 1800s, gosh, they're verbose. And even <laughs> non-science fiction ones, it's a, it, it can be tiring as a reader. When you are writing, when you're composing, do you take elements of that as well as far as like, hey, I don't want people to get fatigued while reading it, so I do this? So I do like to write, I think, a little bit to the middle. I don't try and use words that are more complicated than they need to be. I really believe in word economy. Um, I think I'm a very concise writer, actually. Uh, you have writers having to cut so much from their final works because, you know, they have to cut, cut 20,000 words because they just... They, they couldn't help themselves for talking too much. I almost always have to add because I, I am more brief in my, in my language. So um, I don't ever want to hate somebody uh, for the language I'm using. So I think that I've tried to write something that's accessible and something that seems natural too. Uh, obviously there's, there's some beautiful literary fiction out there um, that I think they use words so carefully and so pointedly that 
it adds something to the work, but that's not really the kind of work that I'm writing at a point in my career. I'm, I'm writing things that are hopefully going to be accessible to everyone, but still meaningful. Uh, so I, I try and um, be more concise and, and clear in my language as much as I possibly can. One thing, go back to Matt and Crystal, I never was tired with that fatigue, but when I compare it to other ones like Pride and Prejudice, just didn't throw, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm excited to chat with you today about your new novel, After Isles. What can readers expect from the book? So After Isles is a character-driven science fiction novel. It's definitely considered soft sci-fi, although I try and make everything very logical and as realistic as I possibly can. Um, you shouldn't necessarily expect Andy Weir levels of scientific detail. Um, I don't really get into the physics or how those things are working. They just do work. Um, so it's definitely more focused on the characters. And I chose to use a nonlinear timeline for that book. So I think that that helps to keep the tension high. Uh, the first line of After Io is actually Bryn issued a mayday call 10 hours after she killed her captain. Mm -hmm. So... Um, after that scene, we kind of jump back in time and we start looking at maybe some of the more inciting events that, that lead to that. And so um, I think that I managed to keep the tension high, managed to keep a fast pace with this novel. Um, but something else that you might expect when you read it is um, that you might have some questions at, you know, as you go. Um, I do prefer questions to answer, I find. And this is a series. And so you won't always have those questions forever, but there are some some open ends. So um, expect something that's focused on the characters and um, hopefully keeping your attention on, for a longer period of time. What prompted the decision to make it a series? When I started writing after IO, I just imagined it as a series, as the entire first novel takes place on the ship of the Persica. And... Um, after the first novel, we, we leave that ship, we leave that self-contained environment. So um, I just kind of wanted to allow the, the story around that event that's really shaping some of our characters to have its full story, a self-contained novel, and then see the implications of that event on a larger scale in future novels. So um, I just always imagined it as a series. I've this is my first series. I've always wanted to write one. I've written um, four novels in total, but not all of them are published. Uh, so this is this is the first one that is published. And uh, I thought that the story that I was developing would fit a series really effectively. So uh, there's a lot that I want to explore about the world and those characters. Now, Leonardo da Vinci mentioned that art is never finished only abandon and I think that's very similar in writing and how do you know when to stop how do you know when a it's finished it's good enough for consumption and then the second part of that to then take that and have the confidence to say here you go world <laughs> well con having the confidence is an issue all in of itself I think there's okay. a point where writers just say I have to let this go I have to I have to put it out into the world but in terms of deciding where to end a story I'd like to think about where, what was the arc that I wanted my characters to go through? Because all my stories are very character driven. And so what, what were they supposed to be experiencing and what growth was supposed to be taking place in this particular storyline? And when I feel like I've gotten to a place where that arc is complete, 
I, I'm, I'm ready to move on either to the next in the series um, where they can start a new line of growth in a new arc or um, end the, the book altogether and their story altogether. And for me, I've, I've actually gotten some feedback, um, especially from some of my closer family members who always feel like, well, not always feel like, but who sometimes feel that they want more. They, they feel like they, they can't believe I ended the story there, but they want to see the return journey of the hero's journey a little bit more than I give them, but I like to end kind of where the character growth ends. And often that uh, may feel unfinished to some people, but if you look at actually the story as a character story, it usually is finished. How do you balance feedback, whether it be positive or negative, versus just criticism? And I know that, especially with online, everyone's got an opinion. And sometimes you're going to be valid. Sometimes what someone says, you're like, you know what? I never thought of that. And other times it just might just be pure vitriol. How do you bounce that? Because it's tough. It, it is. So uh, I've only been publishing for uh, about four months now. So because you move out of kind of a safety bubble of, of little readers who maybe know you better and will cushion their criticisms and their feedback. And you move into a wider bubble. Um, and where I, what I've tried to learn is that there is value in every piece of feedback and criticism. Um, when I received my first one-star review for After Io, it really hurt. I, um, I couldn't believe that somebody absolutely hated my book. You know, it's not, not just that they didn't, didn't really like it or they had some problems with it, you know, so somebody hated it. And that was hard to come to terms with for me, but it was a great lesson because I, I now know that not everybody is going to like my books and that's fine because art is subjective and it isn't going to be for everyone. And so then there, there are some other criticisms where, you know, people are actually leaving me some, some valid feedback and I'm going to, to take that into future novels or integrate it into my writing. And sometimes I, I just have to say that my writing was not for this person or yeah, that is a criticism, but it was intentional also. You know, I, if, if somebody says I have a lot of questions at the end of after IO, they should. And if they didn't like that about it, it's not because necessarily that I did a bad job of, of writing my novel, but there's somebody maybe who doesn't like as many questions as I do. And so my writing isn't necessarily a good fit for that person. So I think that it's learning to, find something useful from every criticism, from every piece of feedback, but that doesn't necessarily mean that every piece of feedback needs to affect my future writing um, because I am an, ar an artist, I'm a writer, and I'm trying to communicate certain things and they are going to be communicated to some people than others. And I, sh I feel like you can't let one or two people, um, people's opinions, necessarily fully change your style when when it does work for this other group of people so yeah that's where i am unfortunately if 99 people loved it and only one person hated it that one still <laughs> sticks with you yeah you you still feel it but um it's it's funny that our brains are, are wired that way we would pay yeah. much more attention to the negative than the positive um but i'm i'm trying to to make sure that I'm focused on the positive and make sure that I'm focused on what I'm proud of in my writing, because I really am, I'm finally producing writing that I'm very proud of and that I am happy to put out into the world. And um, 
it's hard when somebody hates your, your baby, but <laughs> ultimately that's how life is too. Not everybody likes you as a person and that's okay. So it's just incredibly difficult because I know that you put a tweet up about the opening line and about how even that caused friction and, and most people were supportive, but there was a couple of people that weren't. And it's just like, why in the world would anyone want to be a writer with this amount <laughs> of emotional stress that comes with it? Yeah. You know, I, unfortunately it's kind of an impulse at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, that's been hard for me because I'm actually a very introverted person and I actually really had sworn off social media for most of my adult life. Um, after, after college, I stopped using Facebook. I never had a Twitter account. I didn't have Instagram. I didn't, I pretty much did not use social media. Um, and, and I knew all these, these dangers around social media, you know, you're here, all of the, the negative stress that comes with social media. And then when I decided to, to self-publish, I was inevitable. You have to use social media or else nobody knows your work exists at all. Um, and even that I'm finding is a limiting factor. I need to do more, but um, you have to use social media. And there are people who, you know, is that guise of anon anonymity or just the distance of social media to be very caustic and, and to be cruel to other people. And I don't understand that just because I can always feel like I see the human on the other side of that screen. Um, it's been hard encountering that after being away from social media for so long. Mm -hmm. And that is something that I'm having to get used to. And I feel like I got kind of addicted to Twitter for like a month. And I was like, Oh wait, I got to turn off these <laughs> notifications and everything. So um, that's been a big learning curve for me is how to use social media and how to interact with people and always in a positive manner. Um, and, you know, I, I think I need to keep some of my complaints off of there a little more because it just, yeah, it just stirs everything. So well, hey, we connected via Twitter. So yeah, I appreciate that. Yes. <laughs> Can we talk about creativity and, and what do you do for inspiration? And second part of that is what's a, a writing session look like for you? Is this something just daily or certain days of the week, certain amount of hours? And you, you just take me through the creative process. Yeah. Great question. Uh, I think it looks different for every single writer, but for me, the most important thing that I need to do is, is sit down and write and, and carve out time. So there are some weeks where I feel like I'm just too tired with, I, I work a full-time job and I'm trying to manage other, other life. And so I will stop writing for a given amount of time. And I always start to feel very drained the rest of my life when I do that. I think writing is actually very energizing for me. So when I stick to a schedule, when I write every night, I usually write at night because my husband goes to bed absurdly early. Um, and, and so I, I'll just sit down there at my desktop or on my couch with my computer. I'll put my headphones on. I like to have a playlist that has about 10 songs on it on loop. And they're always songs that I know very well so that it's, almost white noise um, and not distracting. I find if I forget to put it on loop and I have new songs going on, the words will stop flowing because my mind is distracted. Um, so that's part of my routine is I'll sit down and, and I try to write one to 2000 words every time that I sit down because it's, it's one of those things where once you get started, you enter flow and, and you're in it and they start to come. Um, and so you always want to maximize the time 
when you're writing once you get started. And I'm trying to use a schedule now where I write every night, um, especially this month, because I'm trying to meet a self-imposed deadline. And that just making sure that I sit down and write is, is probably the most important part of my routine. And where I find my inspiration is, is on that blank page, honestly. I've, I've heard a lot of writers say that they are flooded with ideas. They just, they have, they, they come up with like two a day and they just have a note, they have nooks full of ideas that they can't wait to write about. And I have no notebooks full of ideas <laughs> um, to write about. I am, I feel like I really enjoy writing. And once I start writing, I, the ideas come, but I often have to kind of force myself to come up with ideas, which I know is very strange for a creative. So what I do is I sit down and I decided I want to write and I just sit and stare at that blank page until something comes out of me. And at some point I just make myself write a sentence and then I can say, okay, let's go with that sentence or let's throw away that sentence <laughs> and try a new one. And that's actually how after IO started, I started with that first sentence. It was slightly different. It was Brynn issued a mayday call six hours after she killed her captain, but it's, it started with that. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's an interesting idea, right? Let's, let's go with that. And, and once I have something on the page, I just can, I can keep going with it. So it is not a very inspirational creative strategy. Um, but maybe it is for, for somebody who feels like they can't write because they're not flooded with ideas, really just sitting down and having nothing else to do. I put my phone away. I, you know, turn off my internet and everything like that. And I just sit and I, I stare at the page and eventually the words come. So, and I'm also a, um, what they call a pantser. There's pantsers and plotters. And so plotters really meticulously plan out everything that has happened in their stories and pantsers kind of figure it out as they go. I think, um, also called gardeners and architects. Um, and George R. R. Martin is one of my, my favorite pantsers that I know about, you know, he just kind of does it as he goes. Um, and so I consider myself, Oh, <laughs> I love George R. R. Martin. <laughs> currently, reading, currently reading book two. So. Oh, awesome. Yeah. It, but, oh my goodness. I, I'm jealous that this is your first time through. That's really exciting. Um, I can't wait. I can't wait for the, the winds of winter. So, uh, yeah, it's, that's kind of where I am too, is I, I just let the ideas flow and take me where they want. And then I, I, you can always go back later and you can edit those things to, um, to be better, to connect better, to be stronger. Um, but you can't edit a blank page. So um, sitting down, getting the writing done, letting the words come is my creative process. It's a great line. You can't edit a blank page. What are some of the songs on the playlist? Um, I Let me pull it up right now. So... For after IO, I had a very specific playlist. Do you want me to just, do you want just like uh, maybe two or three or do you want all 10? How many you want? Let me hear. Yes. <laughs> all right. So I listen to a lot of alternative music. So for after IO, I was listening to Bad Dream by Cannons, Runaway by Aurora, He Said, She Said by Churches, All Eyes on Me by Bo Burnham, uh, Heat Waves by Glass Animals, The Hype by 21 Pilots. Just Exists by Eliza and the Delusionals, I'm Not Where You Are by Marika Hackman, Superposition uh, by Young the Giant, and Are You High by The Knox and Mallrat. Fantastic. So. Who was our co-star that, that comes in and out of the video? Who was our co-star? Oh, that was my dog, Roscoe. Um, <laughs> yes, he is a tri-collie pit mix, um, and he is uh, 14 years old. So wonderful, wonderful. He's getting really old. Mm-hmm. In addition to teaching, you also have a psychology background, which is one thing I found very fascinating about you. So 
how do you use psychology to enhance the plot, enhance the characters? So my interest, my answer for this may not be um, incredibly interesting, but I, I really consider writing to be a, a, a partially su subconscious process. Uh, I think that a lot of the cool things I do while I'm writing are things that just I did subconsciously. So often I think where my psych psychology background comes in is through my subjects. So I, when I decided to get my master's, I really was open to get it in anything I wanted. And I just decided I wanted to learn more about people. I thought that they were fascinating. Uh, and I had the opportunity to go and do a psychology program. And I, I took a lot of classes that I thought would help me develop characters, like ones on self and identity, uh, psychology of close relationships, um, a case studies in the lives of persons. And um, then I, I did my thesis on morality. So all things that I thought would be useful for writing. And I think that ultimately I've I've added these tools to my toolbox. I, I learned about all of these concepts and they kind of play out in the background of my mind as I'm writing. And I think that they serve as kind of logical structures for how the characters would behave and act. And so I don't necessarily, you know, think of my characters. I don't, I don't plan them out and say, oh, okay, well, this person's going to be high in, in self-control or self-complexity and this person's going to be low or, or something, something like that. I don't um, meticulously plan those things out, but I do think all of those concepts end up working themselves out in my characters. So it's less of a explicit process and more of an implicit process. This has been really cool. I am just looking forward to you continuing on the series and, and following on your writing career. What do you have coming up? What should we be aware of? And then how can people follow you and how can they pick up your books? Well, I recently just published my first fantasy anthology. So if you are interested in fantasy as well, uh, you can look into, into that. It's called Verit the Vicious and Other Stories in Antara. And it is an interconnected short story anthology taking place in that fictional world. And I'm also working on the second book in the Farlight series, the follow-up to After Io. Those are my current projects. And I, I do plan to have about five books in the Farlight series total and quite a few books in the Antara series. So those are my focuses right now is to develop those worlds and those characters and continue those stories. And you can find all of my works on Amazon. And I am also available through Kindle Unlimited. I put everything on there if you have a subscription to that. And you can also visit my website at www.elliotwink.com. Brilliant. And we'll have you back again in the future to talk about whatever next project you want. Anytime you want to chat, let me know. We'll do it. I love you. Uh, or sorry, I love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate <laughs> well, I love it. Um, we could say love <laughs> I really appreciated this. I had a great time. So. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, let's chat again. And uh, just best of luck. I'll be following you along your career. And, um, awesome. Keep doing it. All right. Thank you so much, Randall. Great tell, to meet you. Tell Roscoe I said hello. I see him walking away. I will do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. All right, bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Wasn't she brilliant? For more information, check out her website, elliotwink.com. Scoop up her new book, District 5, available now on Amazon, Kindle Store. You'll enjoy it. And if you haven't yet, pick up the first book in the Farlight series, which was released earlier this year after I.O. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.